0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to our time together, as I always am, driving into the studio today. I was thinking I get to be with my peeps, and I can hardly wait. And Guy Talk is coming up, and I always uh, like hanging with my brothers in Christ. And although we don't always agree, I think there's always a lot of good civil conversation going on. And hopefully we're modeling uh, that for you as well. Um, The power panel today is Dr. Peter Capster and Pastors Tom Parish and Tom Brock and Justin Jepsen, Pastor Justin Jepsen will also be joining us today. So it's going to be a nice group. And if you've got a question or something that you've been struggling with lately and you want us to talk about it, please send the question over. Text line is 877 933 2484 I give that again, 877 933 2484 And for those of you who are looking for something to do tonight, You head over to MyFaithRadio.com. There's going to be an evening of hope with Carmen LaBerge. She's our morning host, as you know. And uh, I think Peter and I are going to be jumping on that uh, for a few minutes at some point. But uh, 7 o'clock Central Time, it's a special uh, video live stream event to talk about uh, what's happening in the world, talk about God's truth, and just pray together and be together as a family. So head over to MyFaithRadio.com. You can learn more about that. Uh, It's on the front page. You can't miss it if you go there. Let me take a little break and get things started. Are you afraid of the coronavirus? With what you hear on the news, it's easy to be fearful, even though you are at a very low risk. Remember, God is your salvation. Trust in him. Don't be afraid. As it says in Proverbs, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. When you demonstrate peace in the midst of crisis that passes understanding, it will be a vibrant witness to your family, your friends, and to the world.
1: A helpful message from the Christian Medical
0: and Dental Associations. Connecting faith to life every day. He's on the inside of me, guiding me, leading me, helping me, strengthening me, healing me, caring for me, providing for me, answering my prayers, doing everything he said he would do. That's where he is.
2: Faith Radio
0: nothing from nothing leaves nothing. All right, welcome to the show. I'm awful glad to have power panel in place today, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Hello Peter. Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm just going to try to connect all the voices to the names once again, because we're not in studio, and there's uh, Pastor Tom Brock. Say hello. Hi, everybody. There you go. That's not a voice you're going to forget. And Pastor Tom Parrish.
2: <laughs> Hi. Good starting, to talk to start, all of you today.
0: Starting with a nice chuckle, and I, I don't know if Justin's on quite yet. I think he's still in a meeting. He's going to be joining in just a minute or two. How are my brothers doing?
1: I'm doing well.
3: Yeah, I'm doing yeah, well, too. I mean, it's it's odd to be. Obviously, the state of Minnesota issued its uh, quarantine order uh, this past week. It's not in effect yet, but it's sort of odd to be at home. I mean, it, I, I think everybody's sort of feeling that way, right? Um, I, I don't know how listeners are processing the situation, but it seems like the virus is just never far from your mind. You know, whether you're out, whether you're at home, it, I, I haven't ever experienced something where it's just sort of top of the mind all day long, everywhere you turn. It's, it, it's an odd situation to say the
0: least. Yeah. So, in older times, or other cultures, there have always been ways that people have faced suffering. Um, And I'm just going to throw this out there. How are we doing about teaching people the meaning of life? And I think if we understand the meaning of life, I think we can understand better how to deal with suffering. Hmm. Is that too
2: heady of a question to get things started uh, with? (laughs) Good place to begin. The secular culture teaches the meaning of life is success fame, uh, well-being, all of those things, which is interesting because the Bible touches on some of those themes. But that's not the major theme. The major theme is knowing the Lord, having inner peace, knowing where we're going when we die, that we'll be in with eternally, and that we're a fellowship of believers who support one another and love one another. You look at the contrast between those, and they're huge when you really start to face crisis like we are right now. And so we're seeing a lot of that in our culture.
0: All right. Might it be safe to say that, you know, the the main thing to live for was something outside this material world in life?
2: Yeah. Jesus talked yeah. about that quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely.
3: I mean, I think that's in regards to your opening question, and it ties into what you just asked, I think, too, Bill, is there's a quality about suffering that I think is sort of what I would call objective suffering, meaning that anybody in any place at any time, it, it, it could probably— be described as suffering, to go without food, to go without water, to go without shelter, to to, to be in a difficult or, or painful kind of situation. I mean, I, again, it wouldn't matter where you are in the world or in history. There's kind of that objective nature of suffering. And then I think there's a subjective nature of suffering, meaning that maybe we have expectations in life about what life should be throwing our way. And certainly in American culture, one of the primary values is that we can continue to Sort of climb up the ladder of prosperity, of success, uh, building our resume, whatever that all happens to be. And if that's not happening, then we perceive it to be suffering. and And I would su- suggest that that is sort of subjective suffering when we're experiencing a lack according to expectations. When maybe those expectations were misplaced to begin with. And so, when we're placing our hope, when we're placing our value into the things of this world, and those things aren't happening in the way that we think they should. Are not happening according to our five-year plan, our five-week plan, our ten-year plan. I mean, all of these popular plans that we sort of make for ourselves related to this world. Then I think suffering can be perceived, but is it actual suffering, or did we maybe just misplace our expectations to begin with? And so, with the coronavirus, the way it is right now, there's there seems to me to be obviously objective suffering: people on ventilators and in hospitals, and really experiencing um, some significant, painful, emotional, and, and physical circumstances. But on the flip side of it, for those of us that are uh, have been able to avoid becoming terribly sick, but are certainly impacted in our lives, and um, you know, there's various degrees of suffering versus expectation at that point, and, and that can cause us to reevaluate and rethink things a
2: little bit. It's interesting because I was watching TV last night with my wife, and they had the two doctors on from Mayo who were singing John Lennon's song, Imagine, which is a horrible song, quite honestly, but they were singing that song. Then they had a girl's musical group singing another secular song. And I turned to my wife and I said, think about this. Right now, we're at the beginning stages of this pandemic. I mean, where it's really starting to affect us. And so we're trying to cheer each other up with these songs. If this goes on for two more months, you're going to hear you're going to hear groups singing and choir singing hymns because that's where we're going to need the spiritual comfort and help. Because right now, we still think we can deal with all this from a worldly perspective, but that's could well be taken away and we may have to really turn to the Lord like we never have before.
1: I I saw that too, these two Mayo, the one doctor playing piano, the other one singing Imagine by John Lennon. Can you imagine a worse song to sing in this crisis? Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us only sky. I mean, give me a break. This is a time we need to think about heaven and hell. And you've got doctors singing uh, an anthem from John Lennon. I, I mean, it, it was it was bizarre. But I was thinking about all this. I turned on TV last night, watched the national news. And, you know, if, if we can go back in time, we'll say a month, and turn on that newscast last night, it looked like a Hollywood movie. Like, everything is shut down. This virus has hit the planet. And it looks like a Hollywood film. And, again, I, I think I said last time, all God has to do is move his little finger and everything turns upside down. I think that's what's happened. Mm. And I I saw a post by some very liberal pastors. They all liked it. Uh, a post that says God God never causes suffering and never causes and diseases never a punishment for sin, something like that. And I'm thinking, have... what what Bible do they read? You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. John, John 9 disease is not always a punishment for sin, because who, who sinned, this man or his, fa- his parents that he was born blind? Jesus said, nobody sinned, it's for the glory of God and heals him. But to say no disease and no suffering is God's, as uh, ever God's punishment for sin, you've got the flood of Noah, uh, God raining fire and brimstone on Sodom, you've got the plagues against Egypt, those are Old Testament. In the New Testament, you got the angel of the Lord Smiting King Herod so that he dies and is eaten by worms. That's not the devil. That's not chance. That's the Lord that did that. So I, there's enough in Scripture that, I mean, can I say everybody that gets this is, has, is it's a punishment for sin? No. But, you know, there are times when God does punish sin
2: by suffering. But what, here's what's happening. And Tom, you've hit on a good note. When you remove the concept of sin, alienation from the Lord, living against his will from our, you know, vocabulary. Then you wind up with simply a God of mercy and grace who would never do anything like this to anybody. And mm-hmm. yet, because he loves us so desperately, he's willing to even put us in a realm of suffering so that we turn around. Because for him, and here's the hard part for us, we're here and now, for him, eternity is a much bigger deal than the moment that we live here yep. because we're like a cloud that passes briefly and then we're gone. And if you think, too, First Corinthians
1: 11 the Corinthians were getting drunk on Holy Communion, and Paul says, that is why some of you are sick and have died. So there is God judging through Holy Communion. And uh, again, you don't want to overdo this and say everybody that is suffering is is because they've committed some sin somewhere, but we can't underdo it either and say that God never does this kind of thing.
0: All right. Well, gentlemen, I think we're off to an interesting start. Let me take a short break. Let us know if you've got a question or Something you've already heard you'd like us to elaborate on, that text number is 877 2484 Be right back with Guy Talk. So nice to have Guide Talk happening, although I wish they were in studio with me. Always way more fun. Dr. Peter Kapner is on board. Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, and hopefully Justin Jepson will be joining soon. Question from my wingman, Terry. He said, um, Acts 5, 1 through 11, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Will we see them in heaven? Hmm. <laughs>
1: Well, Paul says, when he talks about the Corinthians getting drunk on communion, and that's why some of you are sick and some have died, he then says, but when we are disciplined by the Lord, it is so that we will not be condemned along with the world. That makes me think the people that died from abusing communion still went to heaven. They were being disciplined by the Lord and not condemned. And I don't think we know the answer to Ananias and Sapphira, but I guess I would apply that and think probably. That was probably a heavy-duty discipline uh, on on that couple, and my guess is we'll see them in heaven, um, and God was severely disciplining them.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at the text right now, and of course, they lied to the Christian community because they sold a piece of property and then said that they gave it all to the community, and the emphasis there was that the Christian community was to be honest uh, open and really caring about one another. And so I think it's interesting that this event, you know, Ananias drops dead, and then his wife comes in and tells Peter the same story because they had made it up, and she drops dead. And here's what it says, And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. I think the problem is we, we make our Lord into trivial pursuit rather than understanding he's deadly serious about us loving him, loving one another, serving one another, and sacrificing and standing for the truth. And Ananias and Sapphira didn't get that. I don't know where they're at. I'm not here to judge them one way or the other. But the Scripture doesn't give us a clear answer in either direction. The last word we have about Ananias and Sapphira is that they dropped dead in front of the believers. That's a strange verse to have in there.
1: And this prayer, the fear spread throughout the church. and yep. and you know that And that was the good thing. You know, uh, again, I I was on seeing this very liberal pastor's uh, posting about, he says, no, a fear is not from God. Disease is not from God. Well, Ananias and Sapphira drop dead in Acts chapter 5, and a holy fear of God goes throughout the church. There is a good fear that that is proper and is from the
2: Lord. All right. The problem is. Oh, go ahead, Tom. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. What I get concerned about, and I've been a pastor a long time, is that I see human beings continually making up the God they want. Even those that sit in the church every Sunday. My God wouldn't do this. My God would love everyone. My God would not condemn this or that. And I'm wondering, are they even reading the Bible? Because when you Mm -hmm. read the Bible, you see a Lord that loves us desperately sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, but is not going to put up with our sin, is not going to put up with our rebellion, and is not going to placate our silly ideas. What we have to do is get on our knees before him, surrender, and say, your word is the truth. And I will put that truth of who you are to work in my life, and I will view the world from that truth, and I'll no longer make you up. I'll only speak about what you say in the word of God.
0: All right, gentlemen, uh, as we're talking about this, it prompts me uh, to Revelations chapter 3, I verse 19, where I rebuke and punish all whom I love, be in earnest then and turn from your sins. How would you be explaining that to a new believer or to a non-believer?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, when we get confused, Bill, by the idea of love being equated to or synonymous with things like, Permission or endorsement or live and let live, or those kinds of ways in which we've made love synonymous with our culture, then I, I think that kind of passage and a passage maybe from Hebrews that talks about that don't be confused or surprised when you're disciplined by God because He disciplines those who are loved uh, by Him is th- those are confusing passages. But when we recognize that um, what God is entirely interested in is the beautiful party of his Trinitarian delight sort of overflowing into the world around him, and that we might be able to participate in that. And and if we have our own ideas of what might bring delight into our life, but ultimately is bringing pain, turmoil, and death into our life, then the idea of rebuking and the idea of discipline is is a wonderful invitation to a party of delight. And And I think we too often associate words like discipline with sort of the school taskmaster, right? You know, mm-hmm. the 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 eighty-five year old teacher who never really <laughs> smiles, and and then somehow put that idea upon who God is, as opposed to the the loving parent who really is. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know a different way to say it. And then there's plenty of theologians that talk in these kinds of ways around these, the, just the Trinitarian party that is overflowing with love that. It, you want people to participate in that with you, and, and you desperately want your children that you created to, dis, to to participate in that with you. The Garden of Eden, uh, Eden in the original language, simply does mean delight. And that's some of where we get this kind of idea from, is that the original creation is a creation of a garden of delight to be shared between human beings and God. And it was this wonderful, ever-unfolding place where we could walk out life without fear as as love was just pervading all of those places. So rebuke and discipline in the context of delight is much different than rebuke and discipline in the context of maybe I would say a misperception of God that He is just always worried about whether everybody, you know, is doing everything that he has to say and, and all of that. This dour, stern faced God is very different than the delightful God who is ever overflowing our direction. So those words in that context are invitational, not scary. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I also want to say hello to Justin. He's just joined us, so he's on board now as well. Justin, thanks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Great to be here. Here's part of the problem. When, you know, I'd like to, uh, I've always been heavy set. all right? I've been on a thousand diets in my life, and I've succeeded at all of them for a moment. The problem with dieting is I would like the Lord Jesus just to drop me 55 pounds and just make that happen. But in order to get the health and to lose the weight, there's a discipline I've got to go through. I don't know anybody that just loses weight by saying, help me to lose the weight, Lord Jesus. He shows us a process. He puts us into a discipline. Now, I'm going to share with you guys, and none of the radio listeners can hear this, a true confession. Early in my ministry, I was praying one day, and I don't know why I said it. I prayed the stupidest prayer I could ever pray. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, do whatever you need to do in my life to make me just like you that was dumb because he took me seriously and he's allowed me to go through disciplines sorrow mistakes problems that really helped me grow up and really helped me mature and taught me what it meant to forgive my enemies taught me what it meant to literally care for others beyond myself not because I wanted to do it but because I wanted to be like him and so I'm I'm encouraging you you other guys if you really want to do that pray the prayer
0: That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us, Tom. Hmm.
2: I'll tell you, too,
1: when I was was praying this morning, I have a list of people that I prayed for for many years. Some are family. Some are friends. Some are very hard-hearted people. And, and, you know, I I prayed this morning, Lord, protect my family and friends from this coronavirus. But then I had to add, but Lord, do whatever you have to to save them, bring them to Christ— before they die. And so I don't want my family and friends and the people on this list to get this thing. But if getting this thing is what's going to bring them to Christ and land them to heaven, then God thy will be done.
0: It's a dangerous prayer, but I I believe it's a it's a it's a good one because mm-hmm. what you want more than anything is for your loved ones and, and the lost to come to saving faith in Christ.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: let me ask you this, gentlemen: Are you able? Are you able to get through suffering um, without having or knowing a lot of biblical doctrine? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think a lot of people in America will get there, in the world will get through this, who are Hindus, Buddhists, etc. So you can get through it. I don't think you'll be as peaceful as if you knew the biblical doctrine.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also. Um, Yeah, just as I'm kind of playing catch up here and and coming into the conversation a little bit late, um, I I think doctrine is, um, I mean, essential to understand discipline rightly. And As Peter was saying, not only is discipline the pathway for delight, but it's recognizing the difficulties that we endure, the trials and the hardships is not something we just need to go kind of get through as a, you know, and kind of come out on the other side. Um, and we hear a lot of that language. You know, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Um, but I think when you when you have biblical doctrine, you can also see what God's doing in this. And and this isn't just something just to. I mean, we yeah we have to get through it. Uh, we will be going through it, but also being fully present in it and not wasting this season and recognizing the good that God can bring out of it. Um I think that doctrine shapes our perspective of pain um, in a way that ultimately is the only way that can bring hope and in the midst of the hardship and can strengthen us um, in a way like, like nothing else can. And um, to know that we have a, a Savior who's a good shepherd, who's lovingly leading us and providing and protecting us, um, not from pain and hardship, but to know that we're not alone
0: in the midst of it. Yeah, sometimes I think I use the word doctrine when I meet when I mean promises and promises when I think of doctrine. So I, I interchange those a little bit. Uh, let me take a little <laughs> break. Send questions over 877-93-FAITH. 877-93-FAITH. We'll tackle whatever you got for us. Uh, Guy Talk is happening. And we've got Dr. Peter Kapsner on the power panel. Pastor Justin Jepsen, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish. Once again, that's the panel. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have guys available, interested, willing to come on the program, all from their homes, the security and comfort of their homes. And we've got Dr. Peter Kapsner, Pastor Tom Brock, and Pastor Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepsen. You know, guys, with what's happening, uh, in addition to the uh, suffering that many, many people are going through, there's also lots of isolation, and there's also now uh, a lot of talk about uh, finances and resources and all that. And how would those closest to you evaluate your view on the importance of money?
3: So, in, you know, Bill, in my, I guess in my other life, I have owned and run a business for the better part of 15 to 16 years, and I think I could answer that question differently on different days. I mean, I, <laughs> I would like to sit here and answer the question for you and say, hey, you know, my <laughs> hands are never gripped tightly on the business. I'm never worried about money. You know, I'm never worried about what's happening in the world. God will provide, and... Mana will fall and my pantry will be full and and you know those sorts of things. I wish I could say that on a daily basis, but boy, it creeps up on you in funny ways. Um, even if you do sort of some specific and very intentional spiritual disciplines and say, you know, God, release my hands again today. I trust you. I feel the worry and I feel the stress um, that I think so many of us can sympathize with and identify with and 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 take my hand off of that. It seems to then bring a sense of peace and and, and a sense of um, perspective, I suppose, for a couple hours, sometimes a couple of days. But gosh, it really that stress does creep up on you. And um, and there's other days where if you were with my five kids and you're with my wife, Hallie, and you ask them the question. So how is dad? How is your husband handling what's going on with the finances right now? They'd say, you know, he's in a pretty tough spot. Um, his his fear gauge is maybe off the you know. <laughs> Off the charts right now, and so you know, there's always an invitation in there, but I'm not going to deny it. it's it's not a struggle. I can't imagine that a lot of the people listening don't maybe experiencing something similar. I mean, the the future is so uncertain, and that brings a great deal of fear with it. And if we're not careful, we then try to control the future to alleviate the fear yeah. instead of doing what we need to do and being responsible with things, but also keeping our hands open in the midst of it.
0: I appreciate your transparency, Peter, and by the way, don't forget you owe me nine bucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm working with Canadian dollars, so it's down five, Bill.
0: All right. Anyone else want to jump in on that?
1: You know what I'm thinking of, Peter talking about his wife and five kids, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says to the Corinthians that in view of this present distress, Something was going on in Corinth that we're not sure what it was, but there was maybe it was a persecution. But Paul says, in view of this present distress, better to be single, and meaning that not that it's wrong to have a wife and five kids, but don't go looking for a wife if we're going through this horrible distress. I'm a single guy, so I don't think I have this hitting me as hard as if I had a wife and five children to feed. So that's just a thought for the single people out there that, you know, there are times that we can praise the Lord that we're single.
0: (laughs) Tom Parrish, any comments? I wanted
2: to jump in on that. One of the advantages I've had is that the churches I've served have sent me and my wife all over the world. We've lived in jungles. We've lived among hostile people for a period of time. We've worked with missionaries. And coming back to America is like coming back to Disney World. We have everything. We have mm-hmm. so much here that I don't think most of us can really discern the difference between all the luxuries we have and what it really takes to live. And sometimes these horrible events, you know, get us back to thinking about what do I really need to survive in this world? Well, you know, you need, certainly you need food and you need a certain number of things and shelter. But it really starts to get back to people. Who are the people that really matter in my life? And why aren't I giving them more time? And I think if we would concentrate more on that, uh, yeah, I underappreciate the, the money issue. But the one thing I've discovered in ministry is that money is a tool. It's not the end. And that uh, Jesus has a way of taking care of us if we will really let him. I'd like to add one more thing to the listener who talked about doctrine. I think doctrine is a misunderstood word. You know, I've, I've, always, I've had a lot of young couples come in, and I've never said to the, the guy there, tell me your doctrine about your girlfriend. Because they looked look at me like, what, are you nuts? Well, I don't have a doctrine. Well, he certainly does. If doctrine is understood as a set of rules, that's a problem. But if it's understood as the truth, this is biblical truth that we're searching for. He's got truth about her. She's kind. She's sweet. She's the best looking girl I've ever seen. All of those things. Then it begins to make a lot more sense. And what I would encourage the listener to do, as I was sitting here in between in the break, I was able to look up just the passages on trusting the Lord on the Internet, in one minute, and came up with over 150 passages that I could read through a couple each day and pray over, that would keep giving me biblical truth in these difficult times. So I encourage the, re- the listener to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, Tom, it was actually me that threw out the word doctrine, and I've always thought it to be huh? truth. I've always thought it to be what is the what is the biblical truth that you live by? And here you go. Can you can you deal with suffering if you don't know biblical truth? And and I think somebody yep. jumped in and said you can. You just won't have that piece. I think it was Tom Brock that said that.
1: Mm -hmm. Good work. And you know, too, I'm too. I'm I'm thinking too that uh, it's nice to not watch too much TV through this crisis. I mean, I I watch too much TV to begin with, but with this crisis, all of it is rough. And I, I, I have a great hobby. I make pottery. Half of my garage is a pottery studio, so I can just get into this hobby and not even think about this stuff for a few hours. And I think it's important for our listeners to, you know, Tom just brought up 150 Bible verses. Just get into Scripture, get into prayer, get into your hobbies, but yep. don't spend, you know, 18 waking hours a day watching TV and, and reading about this stuff.
0: Yeah, I want to stay on a topic that I've just brought up, but when John's command is, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world— How how do you believe we ought to be implementing that?
4: Mm. Well, I I would say, in kind of speaking back to the first question, um, you know, how would others view me in the way that I handle or view money in the midst of this crisis? And you know, and I think that um, anytime there's a trial or a crisis um, difficulty, I think that that's what reveals or brings to the surface what we really believe about God um re- what, what really what our true doctrine is to, to to use that word again um and you know i think honestly, and as I look at my family with two young- you know you know two young kids i mean they they probably they don't have a clue what's going on but um i I think i've been a little bit more impatient, a little more irritable as i'm you know maybe being succumbed by different worries of what happens if you know, one of us is out of work, or what happens if we have to, you know, something big happens right now, uh, you know, so I think I, I, like Peter, to be honest, I'm probably struggling my way forward, um, as my trust in the Lord is put on trial, um, but I think also when it comes to your question, Bill, about love not the world, nor the things of the world, when we have so many things that we that we love that are being stripped away from us, you know, and even just thinking about sports and and entertainment and you look at two things that tend to be maybe the biggest idols in our in our nation um that uh, i think it's it's exposing what our true where our true love lies and um and i think so i I think i mentioned this last week that this is a season where we, we can really take stock on at the soul level of what's essential what really matters and um you know, I think we'll always be able to know um, what we truly love when it's taken away from us. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a, a time, like, like Tom was saying too, not to distract ourselves through this, but to really pay attention to what God's invitation for us is in the midst of this and how he can actually sanctify us and make us more holy, more like him in and through the midst of this crisis.
0: Peter, you have anything?
3: Well, you know, I just <clears throat> Justin. I was thinking as Justin was talking. I know Justin how much you have both studied, but also what I really appreciate about you is how much you actually implement spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines that can really help deal with the fear in the midst of all of this and did not get attached to the things of the world. And I'd be curious if you have any sort of even a practical daily suggestion of a few different things. And I know people people's personalities are very different, so. I I always hate to try to implement some one practice fits all for everybody, (laughs) but do you have some suggestions for people that they can do is, you know, sort of deal with the fear, but also deal with not getting too attached to what's happening in this world?
4: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I can just simply offer some things that I'm, that the Lord has me doing. um, And this might be helpful for some to be applicable for them in their context. So, um you know one of the things too is um that the lord's been bringing to mind is getting back to some of the basics and some of the essentials and some of the disciplines that i've been neglecting and one of those is just been scripture memorization and how vital that that been. so i've been memorizing psalm 91 um uh the, over these last few weeks and um and it's been uh, it's been amazing to see um god's providence in that and how the verse that i am seeking to um memorize um, and hide in my heart, how the Lords bring that up in specific situations, and so even by way of practical example, I mean yesterday Governor Tim Walls, you know issued the shelter in place and um and then, as I was kind of thinking through that i 'm already working at home, and trying to work at home with two young kids is is really, really difficult, so I feel like i've had a lot of distraction, um, but I got to the the verses today, so psalm ninety one verse nine and ten. Um, it's interesting, the correlation. So yesterday's the shelter-in-place mandate, and then today's verses that I was looking at, um, it's that it because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High your refuge, no evil will be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. And, and how the Lord even just providentially is matching up my circumstances um, and uh, with the scripture that I'm memorizing. And so even just on a daily basis of being transformed by the renewing of my mind. But... Another part, and, I, and this is something that I've been put, I've been practicing for years. Um, you know, with two young kids, there's so many different distractions. There's so many different things that are going on. Um, is I try to, I try to build prayer sidewalks along common footpaths. So what I mean by that is taking the everyday, ordinary, mundane things that I'm doing, and building prayer into them. And and when I say prayer, what I what I don't mean, at least for me, is that I'm talking to God. It's, sometimes it is that but it's me really seeking to listen. And, and uh, I'm talking to him about the verse I'm memorizing. I'm saying, okay, Lord, right now I am feeling anxious. I am feeling worried. What's that about? Um, Lord, why did I just snap at my son? And like, wh- Where did that anger come from? You know, I, And so I think building those. So for me, it's, I'm praying when I'm, when I'm making coffee <laughs> every morning. I'm praying when I'm brushing my teeth. Um, you know, I'm, I'm praying when I'm, I'm in the shower, I'm praying when, um, you know, when I'm changing a dirty diaper even. I mean, so just finding those little ways and moments that I am I can be prone to distraction, but I can actually refocus those moments and redeem those moments, make the best use of my time, as Ephesians 5 says, and um, actually become the moments that I can recognize God's presence and practice His presence. So those are just a few things that, that, um, I've been struggling in God's grace to to be implementing on a daily
2: basis. That's really nice, Justin. You know, after 40 years of counseling, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Tom. After 40 years of counseling, I've discovered an interesting phenomenon for what it's worth. The more people have, the more they want. The less they have, the more they give away. Mm. And I began to actually implement that in Christian counseling in terms of giving away time, in terms of giving away uh, prayer, in terms of giving away, you know, things. And it is incredible what happens to people, how they grow in the Lord and became become more secure. The more they decided they would give things away, if they had two mops, they'd give one away to their neighbor if they didn't have one. I think the problem is we have more security in things than we realize, any of us. I'm just as guilty. And sometimes the Lord has to come in and take it away and say, if you really want security, you got to turn to me. And that, in the long run, is the best thing that could happen to us.
0: What I want to ask is, when we come back from the break, is there areas in your life, do you find yourself seeking to meet your own needs rather than trusting God to meet them? And there's that great mm-hmm. quote from uh, Corey Tenboom who said, never hold on to anything too tightly because it hurts too much when God pries your hand open. Let me take a little break. <laughs> We've got God Talk happening. Let me know if you've got a question or a comment. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. (laughs) I can't compete with that. Anyway, we've got Guy Talk happening. Dr. Peter Kapser is on board. Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Pastor Justin Jepson. This time in life has no precedence. I think we're all going through this together, and we're all going, wow, we've never experienced this. So I'm wondering if there are areas in your life that you find yourself, has this exposed areas where you have been seeking to meet your own needs rather than trusting God to meet them? has it exposed? That's maybe the question.
1: Well, you know, I just this morning, I've got this daily devotional book of writings from Martin Luther. <laughs> I'm a Lutheran pastor, and today's was on that very thing, uh, uh, Bill, and he, on the on the daily devotional today, Luther is writing about that we are not to sit back and expect God to supernaturally meet our needs. God has given us a mind, a body, and he, he wants us to meet our own needs and the needs of our family and friends. And then Luther says, of course, there are times when you can't, and God has to step in and do it. But I thought that was an interesting take that um, God has given us our bodily parts, our members, our minds, uh, so that we take care of ourselves and our family. Um, and so it's, it's not like I'm trusting me to take care of my needs. I'm trusting God to take care of my needs but he puts it back into my lap often, mm-hmm. and that was just the devotional today.
3: Nice. Yeah, I think for me, I um, maybe like a lot of people, I, I was experiencing some symptoms this week, earlier this week, about six, seven days ago. that were a little odd, maybe a little fishy, you know. And, and Tom, you're talking about watching too much television. Uh, If you watch the television at all, you know, it doesn't take long before you're diagnosing yourself (laughs) and any (laughs) symptoms that comes up. But um, I mean, I I was certainly legitimately uh, sick on some level, you know, really achy, very sore, oddly tired, um, all of that. And and you just then you wonder a bit and you you hear then about how many stories take turns for the worse and um, you just don't know for sure what you have. And I think there's nothing like sickness to sort of. Reveal some of what has been the theme of the show. it seems so far that will it reveals the futility of putting your trust into things that are transient and temporary, even your own health and and even as i've gotten a bit older in life as it seems like people do you, you your body doesn't work in all the same ways that you want it to work, and even if this wouldn't have been an, a sickness unto death, um, it does allow you to gain some perspective and you say what what if it was? What if this was the end?" What, where am I at? What? How am I judging things in my own life right now in terms of what I would see matter? If I had just a couple weeks left or a month left or something, how would I spend that time? What would I care about? What would I be afraid of? The, those are questions that come up sort of in the dead of the night when you're waking up and you don't want to wake up because you're feeling a bit of anxiety or some stress and, and you begin to think and spin about those things. I just think stuff like this really does the, have the capacity to reveal what's going on in our soul uh, that may be a bit misaligned and disordered in terms of God's kingdom. And it has a, a real invitational capacity, too. And those are hard things, because I don't think anybody wants to suffer. Anybody is looking forward to suffering. Anybody wants to go through these sort of odd and weird circumstances. And yet, if we don't go through them, if I just kind of go through my day as is, the routine, wake up, do my thing, go to bed, wake up, do my thing, you kind of live in these shades of gray that don't any longer have any meaning, purpose, or vitality to them that can be had when there really is um, a stripping away. I think about those early believers, and so often they weren't under any illusion about what was important in life as they're running through the catacombs and they're dying for their faith, um, you want to feel fully alive. That's one way to do it is, um, is to have the threat of death around you at any given sure. moment. And too often my spirit gets way too dulled when I'm simply just doing life as I think it should be or life as I think should be comfortable.
2: Yeah, and if I can add to that, and I, that makes a lot of sense, Peter. I think the thing that's been exposed to me over the last couple of weeks with this coronavirus is my frustration as a pastor not being able to solve everybody's problem not being able to bring the right scripture verse, not being able to bring the right theology, not being able to bring the right prayer. And, you know, I don't know if you guys realize it or not, but not everybody I pray for gets healed. Not every time I ask for a miracle do I get one. And I get very, very frustrated with that. And I remember talking to the Lord not long ago and saying, Lord, why do you allow this to happen? Why do you say in your word all these things will happen if we believe in you? And yet we see it so scattered in our lives if we're really honest. And what I've learned, for what it's worth, And read the scriptures that Jesus didn't merely heal people in the New Testament to alleviate their suffering. He didn't just heal people in order that they might live a little longer. He always healed people to display who he was and what he really bringing to this world, which is an eternal relationship with himself. And I've got to come to grips with that as a pastor, that that is the ultimate goal, whether somebody lives or doesn't live, whether somebody is, you know, well or they're sick or whether I'm well or sick. Because ultimately, I think we've gotten into a theology in America that says, we have a God that wants all of us well, and if you believe hard enough, you can have it. But guys, we know people that are dying around us of this coronavirus. We know children die every day, and yet we kind of ignore that in Christianity. We need to address that. And the way we address it is just to be honest about what is Jesus really up to in this world, and it's really preparing us for eternity, not just for this life alone. To add
0: something that was uh, an earlier part of the discussion— possibly before Justin arrived, uh, a listener had jumped in with this wonderful uh, passage from Psalm 103, which I love Psalm 103. In verse 10, Mm -hmm. it says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities.
2: Thank you. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah, thank you, Lord. That's that's good news.
1: That's a a great verse. I, I heard a pastor say something like, Any day I'm alive and not down in hell... Is a good day. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the truth. I mean, you think with this coming against us? I don't know about you guys. I do not think. How dare God do this? We're such wonderful people on Earth. How oh, God? How mm. can God allow this? I think just the opposite. We're not getting anything like we deserve, especially mm. America. And you know what I was thinking this morning, and I. Uh, don't send me letters, but I'm going to say this.
0: Careful, Tom. I don't want. <laughs> I'm the one that gets the letters.
1: <laughs> well, the so. the ep- well, okay, then I'll say it. Okay, um, the epicenter for all this is New York City right now in America. The more more cases in Amer- in New York than. It's because they're it, stacked on it, top of each other. Yeah, and but you know what I was thinking. I just happened to. Um, do you remember a few months ago when uh, Governor Cuomo and the legislature in New York rejoiced? when they passed through the abortion bill, allowing b- abortion up to the moment of birth. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Mm-hmm. It was an eerie, awful moment. And I'm not saying there's a connection, but I'm not saying there isn't. But, but the point of that verse is we're not getting anything near what we deserve. We kill 3,000 babies a day in the United States. And uh, so those are my thoughts.
4: <laughs> right. I Just to, yeah. That's a very interesting point, Tom. And I think, yeah, you know, we kind of we we can't say with any sense of certainty or, over that or anything, but it, we can say with a sense of cer- certainty that that God is a God of compassion, slow to anger, and, and rich in love. And I, um, for me, I just to answer briefly, what the Lord's been exposing for me, I, I was just going back and even to, into Hebrews twelve when it says, you know, strive for peace for everyone. I think the Lord's exposed. Uh, where there are relationships in my life and family where there's a lack of peace and where I've just kind of, um, you know, if I if I were to be honest, just maybe become a little lackadaisical with it, saying, well, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. And then there's there's not going to be no change. I just kind of let it go. And uh, I think the Lord's brought those back up in a new way. And for me to re-engage with hope, um, to deal with unrighteous anger, to deal with bitterness, and to re-engage in those relationships and to enter back into uh, a loving confrontation of, of unresolved conflict. And to say, you know, as far as it depends on me, I want to be at peace with everyone around me. And so recognizing the shortness and the brevity of life, and even the fact that, that we have the sickness and disease and death is the reminder that life is short. This life is not all that there is. Um, but we only uh, have this life um, uh, really to make uh, uh, just, just to store up treasures in heaven and to, to really count for, um, eternity. So I'm not going to be able to go back and resolve, you know, resolve on, uh, resolve conflict when I'm, when I'm in heaven. Um, I don't, I want to be able to, to make most of every relationship that I have. And so it's, uh, the Lord's been using this season to help me enter back into some, uh, into some conversations to seek a restoration of peace and relationships where there's been an ongoing strain.
0: Okay, here's a yes-no lightning round. We've just got a minute left. Can you think of situations in which God did not grant you your request and you look back on it with gratitude?
2: Oh, many times. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, too. absolutely. Oh, okay,
0: so if that <laughs> is so, why would you be frustrated and discouraged when God next refuses your request?
2: Uh, mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Bill, well, now looking Graham back, back yet. yet. That's what has to happen.
1: Billy Graham's wife said, I thank God he did not answer my prayers. If he yes. did, I would have married the wrong man five times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, doing the program today. I hope you have a wonderful evening. You're a blessing to me, and I hope the listeners as well enjoy Guy Talk. Uh, the wraps up our show. So thank you so much. Have a gr- great rest of the night.
4: Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Take Thanks, care.
0: You, you bet. You coming, up, coming up next, uh, John and Pam Bloom, Deep Thinker Thursday. Looking forward to that as well. Take a short break. We'll be right back.